what we find the barriers are it, companies tend to over index and i'd say more often than not they go we'll just go with iq we'll go with really good ideas but they don't think so much about the eq which is taking others on the journey with them um on those ideas or the fq which is focusing uh, to be able to deliver on your ideas Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Faris Arenki. Uh, good to see you, Faris. Good to see you too, Julian. Real pleasure to be with you today. Yes, good. You are the founder and CEO of Sheer Ghetto uh, Consulting, an innovative consulting firm supporting businesses and individuals to improve their strategic focus and EQ. And you help sharpen companies' effectiveness through the formula of success equals IQ times EQ times FQ, which made that, we'll come into a conversation about that later. And today we're going to be exploring how to get the best out of your team. Uh, but before we go there, Faris, what yeah. do you love about what you do? I love loads of things about what I do, Julian. Uh, not only being on podcasts to talk about it, but more specifically, it is around that effectiveness part. It is about helping teams be better uh, after I work with them than they were before I worked with them about how they come together, how they work together. And it's kind of like that epiphany moment. I actually started my career as a school teacher. And I, in many ways, it was very similar to the first time you see a child learn something and you realize their life is going to be different from that point onwards. And that's that's the same feeling I get when I work with teams and companies and you see that aha moment. And that's what I really, really enjoy. Uh, when did you have that moment for your business that you realized this is what you love doing in terms of helping companies, helping teams? to get those aha moments, to get those moments where they become even more effective than they are now? Well, I'd always had that, but I hadn't focused solely on it, right? I would only get that aha moment if uh, my career before I started, uh, you know, what I was doing before I started my own company was more of a classic strategy consulting role where 90% of the work was actually doing analysis and coming to answers and finding uh, solutions. And then at the end, you'd present them and you might get an aha moment. But actually, mo most times I didn't get an aha moment because most people looked at the content and went, no, nah, I don't get it or we're not going to do that. Um, and that's when I realized, do you know, what? I enjoy that final bit and actually getting people to coalesce around an idea, get them excited around it, get them to, to be honest with each other what they thought about it. So why not just focus on that part? And that's what I set a business up to do. Fantastic. And today we're going to be exploring how we can get the best out of our teams. And I think what I'd like to almost start with really um, is how do we know what is the best for our teams? And when we talk about the best and the high performance and everything else. How do we know what we're aiming for? How do we know what we're going to create is going to be the best for the team we have or the organization we currently have? Yeah, great, great question. Um, and that, um, you know, because that could be how long is a piece of string? Really, for me, success and the best for a team can only come from the team being really clear on what they're trying to achieve. Um, and that's got to come from the team. Um, so this isn't some theoretical exercise about the perfect team talks in this way, does this. It's about they do they achieve their goals? Yes or no. And so often teams don't even start there. They don't have a clear goal. Now, 
you know, I've, I'm an a- avid fan of your podcast. And I know you have people on high performance people. And the one thing they all have in common is they have very, very clear goals. Um, and it doesn't matter what those goals are. You know, it could be just, yeah, we want to, we all want to just turn up to work on time. Uh, we all just want to leave by five. Okay, great. You, as long as you all are clear about that, let's make sure you do that in the most effective way. Let, so performance is measured against your goals, really. Um, so yeah, uh, it's as simple as that, but it sounds simple, but many teams don't have it agreement, don't have it written down, don't have it uh, in mind. Um, so we often start there when we work with them. Interestingly, I, I've, I've been on a bit of a journey uh, with, with goals. Um, yeah. I've got less concerned with outcomes so much and more concerned about the process. And I just, okay. sometimes we get, I don't know, do you think sometimes goals can be um, a, not a, a negative impact, but if we're not achieving them or they're too stretched or they're imposed upon us are not always an effective way of controlling the sort of direction of travel for success? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, a goal if so, uh, goals can have unintended consequences. For sure. There's so many famous stories out there about, you know, you went out to measure one thing and it caused this knock on effect. Um, and so you've got to be careful of that. And I think being too beholden to something too specific um, is is you're going to it's going to make it more difficult. All right. Um, and uh, you're going to beat yourself up more. So what do I mean by that is it's one thing saying I want to become a footballer. OK, or yeah, but it's another thing saying I want to specifically become Lionel Messi. I want to play for Barcelona. I want to. So the more specific you make it great, in, you know, you'll read all the books, say make it as specific as possible. But you are giving yourself a very hard stick to beat yourself up with um, and you will push too hard. So often what I do with goal setting is is not to be so overly uh, specific and um, and to be sort of go up a level, what, you know, what are you trying to achieve as an objective rather than a specific number? Um, and that might be what is a feeling that you want? What is a um, what is an ideal of how you work together? Um, so, yeah, it's a real difficult balance. It's more it's more an art than a science setting goals, I think, nowadays, whereas previously we were always told it's a science. Yeah, I think it's been very much, oh, let's set smart goals and be very specific about it so you can measure them and know you're going to achieve them and everything else. And I and I, I get that. And it's important to have some sort of milestones along the way. Uh, but also, as you say, is to almost have the ability to reevaluate and change things. How do you sort of play that into, you know, you sort of talk, talk about taking it up a level, goals is that sort of taking it more like to purpose and mission and vision is it that sort of stuff yeah it is it is and i think these things always brought brought, brought rest to life let me tell you a short story about a one of my clients that i was working with so i walked in and i i said to them what what is your you know what are you aiming for as a team and this is the senior leadership team and they they said oh well we've got a clear vision um it's on our website here's the thing so and i read it and it was all about we want to be, um, you know, we want to help human society be uh, race into space, environmental work. They're an engineering firm. And I said, OK, great. Now, let's have a look at all the work you've done in the last three years. And I looked at this, the collection of work they've done. It was just a, a random collection of projects that they seem to have picked up uh, through one means. And none of them were even remotely focused on what they had written as their vision. And I said, OK, help me out here. Either your vision is wrong. OK, um, or you're really bad at getting projects that link to your vision. And after a bit of silence around the room, 
one of the guys went, do you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm just here to make money. Right. And someone else, another other director said, I, that's why I'm also in as well. I just felt we had to, we had to make something up to, to, to make it seem appealing to the outside world. And I said, look, you know, and it went around this room and it was like a wave and the, and the four directors all agreed and said, that's really why I'm in it. Um, and I said, look, okay, maybe not that brutally honest to your customers, but isn't it a relief that you all now can be honest with each other, which you've never been before? Um, isn't this going to, A, make it easier to, to have honest conversations, but B, um, make it easier to chase work because more things now fall under that umbrella. Um, and it was like a weight had been taken off their shoulders. So when I say, so yeah, we do do a lot in vision and, and strategy and, and mission, um, but it, and it doesn't have to be, always be aim for the moon. It can be something that just a bunch of guys or, 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 or people in a room go, that's what I really want to do in life. But as you say, it's that important thing of everybody being aligned to it, isn't it? As they all agreed and realised, A, they realised what they were shooting for, really, but actually they'd shared it and there's that sense of transparency and openness, isn't it, in terms of uh, being aware of it as a team? Oh, yeah, completely. Uh, because, you know, it's like a sliding doors moment. Even a slight change in focus will mean so many different consequences coming out of the back of it from what work do you chase, what customers you attract, what your employees think they should be working on. So, yeah, it, it, having that alignment and honesty and being able to articulate it, super, super important. So with all your experience of the last number of years where you've sort of done a lot of, sort of consultancy, a lot of strategy work with uh, organizations and teams, yeah, um, what have you found the sort of, I guess, the key well, problems or obstacles that stops teams uh, becoming the best they can be. Uh, we've just talked a bit about goal setting, but what, what else have you found that gets in the way of that high performance? Well, if you think about the uh, the equation that we use at Shear Ghetto, which is success equals IQ times EQ times FQ, uh, what we find are barriers that uh, companies tend to over-index. And I'd say more often than not, they go, we'll just go with IQ. We'll go with really good ideas. But they don't think so much about the EQ, which is taking others on the journey with them. Um, on those ideas or the F key, which is focusing uh, to be able to deliver on your ideas. Now, let's take the second one. Uh, You know, too many people that I meet, uh, you know, even at senior levels are focused on what I call broadcast. Do I get my message out? They don't focus on is the message absorbed? Uh, So they'll talk in the way that they like to talk. They'll use language. They'll use jargon. They'll assume people get it because they get it. They don't make any special effort. And that's a barrier. Uh, because people, unless there's a safe environment, will just nod their head, particularly to a boss, and say, yeah, 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 okay, I get it, I agree with it. But they don't. Uh, And that's where these micro fishes begin and they get bigger and bigger. It's like having a rip in a spacesuit, I call it. As soon as the rip, you know, we've all seen space movies. The last thing the hero wants is a rip in the spacesuit because it's going to end badly, right? Um, And that's that's what happens. But they're often very blind to it. So I see that happening a lot. And then the the other part is the F key, right? And, And this is the focus to deliver. And the biggest challenge here is too many companies, too many businesses, even individuals are trying to do too much, Um, you know. It never fails to amaze me how many strategic, important projects, you know, a company thinks it can handle at the same time. And each extra one you take on means you're not doing the other ones as well as you could do. And just just going into that a bit more on the FQ side of things. So when you've got this, you know, clarity of purpose, mission, whatever organization wants to use and they get the sort of alignment of goals, um 
how do they get to a place where they get that real focus and make sure that the line, when they think everything is going to make the money, if that's the sort of their, their purpose, yeah, um, everything's going to hit their, their vision. Um, and, and also the conflict in a team sometimes when there's a leader who, who's trying to decide, but actually in the team, there's a bit of conflict on what the priorities are based on either just interest, uh, appetite for it, whatever it may be, the project. So how do we sort of resolve that in terms of creating that real focus with the team? So, I mean, in my eyes, you've got to create an environment that everyone is included and feels they can speak, first of all. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of cultures where the boss dictates and leads by fear, uh, even if they don't mean it. Um, so so make sure everyone has an equal voice and then um, or, or their voice is heard, not necessarily equal. But then make sure everyone is, is assessing things on the same uh, bit of fact, right, and the same basis. So what is the criteria we're using? Uh, I can tell you loads of stories where I walk in and people will argue passionately for one thing because they're only looking at it from a very small lens or uh, one way of looking at it, uh, and it, it it's not necessary. So make sure everyone is looking and assessing and has that data and, and those facts to hand, um, and um, and then and then you've got to force force you know you've got to make it aware that yes these could all contribute, but which ones are moving the dial more? Which ones are are really making the difference? Um, because surely it's better to to do all those and do them really well than try and do everything or do a bigger section of things that aren't delivering as much benefit, um, uh, you know, but you're, you're doing more of them uh, to give you comfort. Um, but that's that's a really hard mindset to sometimes switch to, particularly letting go of stuff. But it, I was going to say, it's, it's, that, it's that letting go of projects, isn't it, where you're thinking, actually, this – this is this is quite good, but I'm actually going to put it lay it down. That's hard, isn't it? It's really hard, particularly if you came up with the idea. Your ownership, you you, you know, you've developed it, or you've spent you spent a considerable amount of time bringing it to where it is. Mm. That's really hard. That's like a you know, I remember as a junior consultant spending hours, you know, in the office till four a.m. polishing a bunch of slides, handing it to my boss, who went, "Yeah, the project's moved on, so we're not going to use that anymore." <laughs> you know, and you're like, and he's like. So, you know, and you have to emotionally bounce back from that thing and throw yourself into the next piece of work. And that happened time and time again. But um, and so so you've got to you've got to be aware of that, the emotions of giving up projects and stuff. And you know, one of my favorite things to do is is help teams look at things from a different angle. And uh, a common technique, if, if, if a company works with me, is something like, uh, did you ever used to play the game Top Trumps, Julian? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you and I are of, an, of an aging, and you know, I know my nephews and stuff still play this. So I'll often turn a bunch of projects into top trumps, uh-huh. and I'll, I'll get them laminated. I'll take them into the boardroom, and we'll spend two hours playing top trumps. Okay, Fantastic. using their data, and it's amazing when you keep playing a game and cards keep losing constantly. People go, "Well, why is this yeah, uh, this this terrible card? Why is it in my deck?" I'm like, I don't know. It's your, it's your project, right? It's your data telling me that it's, and they go, well, we can get rid of that one. We'll get rid of that one. So just reframing it and changing how they associate with it is a great way to get people to put a bit of distance and hand off things that they might otherwise have, have wrapped their arms around and said, no, I'm not budging. I really love that idea of top trumping everything, putting it into little cards and putting all the facts and then playing the game. I think that's a fantastic way of getting that perspective because then you start, as you say, you start realising, you know, why is that card in this game? It should be out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and this, is, this is a common theme when people work with us. We, uh, you know, as, as I alluded to earlier, I started as a school teacher, so I have about 
a thousand and one games that I was taught to, to try and help children engage with learning. And I found repurposing them in the boardroom or with, with senior teams is just as useful because it's it's all about that reframing and changing the emotions around things. Or um, So often I'll get senior executives to stand up and do some kung fu together, uh, to play top trumps, to do things. And they'll look at me and go, why are we about to do this? And I'll say, trust me, um, it's to let go of something or change how you look at it, or, or even just you know see your colleagues in a different light, uh, which mm. can often create the breakthrough in an impasse that otherwise would just have us sitting around debating for hours. Yeah, and as I say, just physically moving people around can do something, can't it, in terms of either a different location or a different space in the room can actually start to see something in a different place because you've just got that physical movement and it changes your perspective. Um, yeah. You said, you said something about making sure that, you know, in, in terms of in a team, making sure that people's uh, voice is heard. Mm. Um, how do we create an environment where people feel that the a the voice is heard but also they feel they can share things um so the initial thing of you know physically i can share this but also it's it's i'm heard actually in what i'm saying yeah uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna give two examples that i love doing with teams so number one i unashamedly borrowed from the likes of amazon which is the um is the pre-read so nowadays any meeting which particularly if there's a decision meeting or a sharing of views meeting i will get teams to share their views ahead of the meeting and they'll submit them all into me i will then anonymize their views and circulate that as a document so that a everybody has to read everyone else's view and they don't know who belongs to who okay and i did this once with a team where they had one member of the team who was a very quiet introverted uh, very physically small petite lady who the rest of the team never ever talked to her or asked her opinion in a meeting. And when we put her opinions on paper and people began to read them, they realized that she actually had one of the best opinions in the room. She was statistically, when I looked at the data, she was more right than wrong of anyone in the team when it came to making big decisions. Yeah. And it was what was fascinating is they all read this document and somebody, we always, after the pre-read, we have a clarification uh, moment. So anyone can ask any questions. And somebody raised their hand and said, is that John's opinion? That one that, that's, and I went, no. And he went, is it Steve's? And I went, no. He went, is it Paul? And he literally went through every member of the team. And the one person he couldn't think of was the lady he never thought to ask. And I said, no, it's, it's actually Jane's opinion. And he goes, wow, that's amazing. Right? And week in, week out, you know, not only did they begin to realize the value that Jane brought to the team, but mm. she grew in confidence, and, you know, and she felt. So, oh, so that process actually helped her to start to be more verbalized things in a meeting as it, well? It did because in that clarification, I said, well, Jane, can you now explain your view? So give her a platform to speak mm. um, and a legitimacy, which she never felt. Oh, look, she felt she was never invited to the table. Um, so she she would just stay quiet. So so that was it. And, and so, you know, nowadays I, I do this straight out of the bat with every team too, because you, there is always some sort of politics or hierarchy, even in even in great cultures. It doesn't hurt to do this technique. Um and get them get them used to it. So, um, so that's one way uh, to create that legitimacy. The, the other way, the other story I often tell is I once worked with a team of super alpha, super driven individuals um, of of different uh, sexes, different cultures, and the one thing they all had in common is they did not see each other as a team. They saw actually the other people in their team as a burden, and they really didn't they didn't really want to interact with each other because they were make you know they were all traders. They were all making very big decisions in the market. And they had a lot of feedback from, from their financials that they were doing very well. 
but uh, they needed to work together. And uh, so I needed to make this happen. And so I played to their, uh, their strengths or, or their, their interests, which was winning. So the start of every meeting, I would do a quick game. And the game would be, let's guess how many X we have as a team. And every member of the team had to bet 10 pounds of their money. Real money. As in real, real money. money. Real money. Yeah, right. So it'd be like week one, let's guess how many pets we all have as a team. Okay. And so each of these traders would put in 10 pounds of their money and they'd sit there and go, I think, I think we've got eight because I know that uh, Julian has a dog and I know that. And so they place their bets. And then, and this was the beauty of the activity. I didn't care if they were right. The real point of the activity is we then had to go round and everyone had to talk about their pets and their, and their life and reveal a bit about themselves. And that takes five, 10 minutes. And you know what happens? You do that four weeks in a row. People start learning about each other. They start unprompted asking each other, how's your dog? How's your son that you told us about last week? So it created the, the consequence that I wanted, whereas they thought they were playing a game and they got really fired up by, I won this week. Ha <laughs> ha, you lost this week. But actually there was a, there was a hidden way of getting them to work as a team. And fast forward, you know, three months later, quite a different atmosphere when you go into meetings. And was that almost ties in with a little bit of EQ as well, isn't it? Getting a bit more people orientated, get a little bit more aware of others, but also yourself. Um, what, what else can we do in terms of, and that's a great example with the, the sort of super alpha teams that can help, I suppose, sort of almost dial that EQ up within a team um, and use the team to sort of help you create that yeah, it, just look at, you know, anytime two human beings find something they have in common, they're more likely to work better together. So create little ways. I call them lightning rods and speed bumps. So lightning rods are things that bring, uh, you know, focus all the lightning in the room. Or speed bumps are things that slow everyone's thinking down. So they have to think, consciously think about things and each other. Yeah. So the more of those you can put in, and, and these don't have to take time. You can just put them in as general parts of meetings. Okay, there's lots of little techniques. Use more breakouts, use more one-on-ones. Okay, instead of you just shouting out what your opinion is, just turn to the person next to you, share your opinion, the two of you agree on the opinion, then share it back into the group. Little ways we change how we interact as a team uh, that can suddenly increase that inclusivity and and get teams working better together. And going back to the um, doing the pre-read where you sort of yeah. anonymized everything in terms of people's opinions, and then that created a, a revelation that somebody was creating some amazing opinions and actually was the one who was the quietest throughout the group. Did that team or do you, you expect teams to continue in that sort of vein in trying to create that sort of um, getting people to share their thoughts or once you get to a place where actually that confidence in that lady she started to share anyway in the team. Yeah, you see, you see people evolve, and if you if you're really lucky, you'll get a champion in the team who continues to not just um, maintain the techniques that you've put in place, but look for other ones. But often, that's all it takes is 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 get them get them humming. Uh, and often, what I do is I'll work with the team for a few months, I'll step away, but then I'll check in a year later uh, and see how they progress because they can either slip back to old ways or new team members come and they they with them they bring new challenges um so it, it, it it's not something you just do once and and get comfortable with because mm. we all we all continue to change and we all continue to adapt and obviously now we're, we're, we're getting more into this sort of hybrid working you know remote working in the office all, all over the place and 
you know, <clears throat> there obviously got the physicality challenges comes with that in terms of communication as well, and in terms of reading people well. Uh, what are your thoughts on trying to create those sort of best teams performance in that sort of hybrid world? In terms of, I'm sure you've been working with hybrid teams. Uh, yeah, I think I think they, you know, I I kind of uh, poo I, I poo poo people who tell me that ah oh, you cannot achieve in a hybrid team what you can in or in a remote team what you can in person and i said well you can it just requires actual thought you cannot try and retrofit what you do in a, an environment into uh, the online world you have to start with a blank piece of paper mm-hmm. um, now admittedly hybrid working is probably the hardest so when you have a group of individuals all together in one room but the other half uh, spread out and they're joining remotely that is probably the hardest combination because you've got to do but as with any of these things, I always say, think about the lowest common denominator. Think about the person who is the least advantaged on that call. So usually in a hybrid environment, it's somebody who's sitting remotely, who's probably got the worst Wi-Fi in the team. So I said, so plan the meeting for them. Assume their Wi-Fi will go down, right? So have a backup way to connect them. Assume they won't be able to interject. So give them a, a room buddy. So someone they can WhatsApp instantly when they've lost the flow of the room or they feel like they, they can't chip in mm. and, and maybe pair them with someone who is a bit more confident than them who's in the room, right? Give them all the notes before the meeting, right? Uh, so just just change how you, you design the session and you can get the best and you can overcome all these barriers. But if you just try and retrofit it or ram it, you're going to end, it's going to be a car crash. I mean, this all goes back to, doesn't it, is how we, you know, if you go to a meeting, what's the goal of the meeting, what we try to achieve, what's the purpose of that meeting, and then almost working back, what's the best way of going about that? And I think, you know, what I've heard from you in terms of all your examples, and obviously you're coming in from a consultancy perspective when you go into these organisations, but actually it's just trying to change the the ways of working, thinking differently, acting differently, that then impact behaviors, then impacts open up channels of communications and certainly opportunities, but also creates that gelling of the team, isn't it? And this is what, you know, mixing things up, it does, isn't it? Have you found that in terms of your experience start, as you start to go in there and start to create these different ways of working, apart from it being a, oh, he's a consultant, he will do that, but actually has started to create that sort of momentum and start to see then that high performance come through. A hundred percent, hundred percent. They absolutely, it absolutely makes a difference. And, you know, um, it, and so many times I see the benefits that are delivered. And I often say to a company, like, if I can, if, if I could fix this for you, how great would that be here? And I'll, I'll tell you a story in just a second, exactly around this situation. But, um, but, it, you know, my, someone like me, yes, I'm a consultant, but me and my team and the people I work with, the way we go about it, I am thinking about the level of detail of, how do we set, you know, who's sitting next to who in a meeting? What language do I use for each person in that meeting? Um, you, like you said, should we even have this meeting? Where should it be? What temperature should the room be? What snacks should we provide to get the best out of people? This is the level of detail to change how teams work and get the best out of people. Now, because in my eyes, it can be immensely powerful. Uh, and the story I'm, I was about to tell you was I one of my clients came to me with a problem that they tried to solve by uh, changing processes, introducing technology, uh, but they'd never thought about just fixing how the team worked. Um, okay, because they had they had a group, they're t- a, a two 
different business units in the company that just had a difficult conversation every month. Okay. And it didn't go well. Uh, and their solution was to, like I say, invest in technology and all these things rather than invest in those two groups and say, how can we get these two to have a better conversation, which will save us literally hundreds of millions of dollars each year. Uh, and uh, I was introduced to them and I, and I worked with these two teams and lo and behold, by just getting them talking to each other better, it resolved most of the problem overnight. Uh, and they were like, that is unbelievable. And I said, well, often we don't think of the simplest solutions, um, which is people. <laughs> yes. And, and it, but, but it's having, it takes sometimes an external perspective on it to, to see it because we can't always see it when we're in it. And when I'm coaching my clients, whether it's a team or an individual, it takes somebody externally to come bring that challenge and almost hold that mirror up to almost go, you know, because we all, we all get, we all step into it and we all need that external, you know, whether, and, and you need it as well. We all, we all need that. Yeah, definitely. Other people to challenge our thinking because we all get caught up in little sort of um, grooves in our lives and little patterns which we think are really helping us. And we're not realizing actually that's not helping us anymore. We need to have a new pattern, new groove and keep more, keep being agile, more flexible. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Faris, and um, I could keep asking for many examples of how you change your team and just write them all down because I think they're really good <laughs> ideas. Um, so if people want to connect with you and get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing it? Uh, I think the two best ways uh, far and wide are, number one, through the company website, which is uh, sheerghetto.com, and sheerghetto is S-H-I-A-G-E-T-O. Um, otherwise, I spend a disproportionately large amount of time on LinkedIn, so people can look me up, Faris Ranke, uh, and uh, we'll carry on the conversation. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Faris. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Julian. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. <laughs>